now as he brings forth your word. Praise in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Good morning, children. You are dismissed to go back to Children's Church so I won't bore you. No, I didn't say that, did I? We always, always love having our children in church. So if you're here and you want to go back to our blue room, you're more than welcome to do that. You get snacks and children. I may go back to Children's Church. They give snacks out. So we don't do that here, unfortunately, so just so you know. Well, if you're here visiting with us this morning, we're so glad that you are here. Um, we're going to just jump right into our, our text this morning. We're going to be in, in Luke chapter 1, but I want you also to be ready to turn to John chapter 1. All right, so as we, just to kind of bring everyone up to speed, we started last week uh, a, a message, a series called Faceless. It's talking about the life of John the Baptist. And we talked last week, we thought, if we're going to learn about someone, let's talk about his parents. So we talked in Luke 1 about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we found a little bit about them. Zechariah and Elizabeth, it tells us in verse 6 that they were godly, blameless in all of God's commands. Remember what we said, can you imagine 2,000 years removed, ahead of our time. Imagine looking back and someone saying they were godly and blameless. Wouldn't that be an amazing, amazing thing to say about someone? They did say, they did say that about, God's word did say that about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Well, what was the problem? Well, Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have children. And the final piece of that puzzle was they were really, really, really old. And it was humanly impossible for someone of their age to have a child. Well, there was three things that we took from our message last week in the area of that. First, it was this. We learned there will be moments we will live in the impossibility. We will live in the impossible. There will be times in our lives where we're like, God, what are you doing? Like, okay, humanly speaking, yep, you're not going to answer this. This is just not going to happen. We're in, well, when we're in times like that, when we're in moments like that, we learned our second principle was this, pray. Pray. Zechariah prayed, and the angel Gabriel said to them, your prayers have been heard. Yes, not in Elizabeth and Zechariah's timing, because they were really, really old, but, <laughs> okay, Elmer, I got you. But, in God's timing. Be persistent in our prayers. So that's what we learned last week. Zechariah and Elizabeth were persistent. Even beyond what seemed impossible, they were persistent and kept knocking at the door of heaven. God, we want a son. We want a child. And lastly, we learned, when God does answer our prayer, praise the provider. Praise God for all that he has done for us. And of course we know that God did answer their prayer and gave them a son by the name of John. So this morning we're going to look at a, get a closer look at this man, John the Baptist, this prophet, this guy and his importance to ministry and focus on a little bit of his life. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1, look at verses 67 through 75. So remember we left last week, we had some fun with this, you know, Luke tells us that Zechariah was mute for nine months. Remember, angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and said, listen, you're going to have a child. And he's like, what? So he doubted what God said. So God, listen, because of that, you're going to be mute for nine months. And the ladies here, I asked the question, can you imagine your husband being mute for nine months? And there was just celebration, if they could imagine that. No, there wasn't really. So 
He was mute for nine months. And the text tells us last week, the first thing out of his mouth, he what? He blessed God. He praised God. Verse 67 starts this blessing, starts this praise. It's actually Zechariah's benediction, his praise, his prophecy. Begin reading in verse 67. And the father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation. That word horn there gives us indication of strength, being mighty, the strength of salvation in the house of his servant David. Well, we know who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus came from the line of David, verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to his father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You know what? Zechariah and Elizabeth lived that life. They were uh, individuals who lived that life holy in righteousness, as Scripture tells us. So let's begin this morning. We're going to look at three principles this morning that we're going to take from Luke 1 and John 1. Our first principle comes from Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad. I think we see here in his prayer a word we'll put down as adoration. Our first principle this morning is adoration. You say, what, why, why are we talking about this? Well, the first words out of Zechariah's mouth was praise and prayer. How about when we open our prayer, when we take our time to pray to God? Now, I'll give you, you know, dear Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you for all you've done for us. And then you go on the supplication. Here's a, here's a, a pattern of prayer that many have used. It's patterned after Matthew chapter 6. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. It should be on the screen in the back. Um, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. What's the one thing I think all of us can say we struggle with? I circled it. Adoration. We have a, all of us have a lot of confessing to do, right? We're sinners. We're going to confess. Thanksgiving, it's, it's easy to give thanks. And supplications is all the things, our desires, and things that we ask God to answer. But adoration is an area. I know I was convicted this week as I looked at this. Do we take time to adore our God? Do we take time to praise him? Zechariah here in this text praises God. He takes time thanking and praising for what he has done for the nation of Israel. Do we have a lot to adore God for in our life? As we used the illustration last week, Martin Luther said this, it would be not great of me if I didn't open up my day with three hours of prayer. Right? When we adore God, we praise God, we bless God, you know what? We open up the pages of Scripture and we can, we can probably take hours adoring who this God is that we serve and worship, the God who sent his son Jesus to die for us. This God has blessed us beyond what we can ever imagine. So what, what I, what I want to challenge you with this week, church, is this. As we look at this, we look at this particular principle from Zechariah's prayer. Take time this week to adore your God. Take some time. Maybe you're in a car ride. Maybe it's you're working out. Whatever it is, take time. Yes, we all need to confess. Don't stop at adoration. But that is an area in which I believe all of us, I know myself, need to take time to adore and praise God. Bless God. Zechariah here gives us that picture. The first words out of his mouth are praise and blessing. 
As we said last week, if it had been me, I'd have been complaining. Thank you, finally I can talk, right? Adoration, praise, and blessing. Let's continue on. Verse 76, a father's joy. So he praises God. He thanks God for all he has done. And you notice in that praise and blessing, he did not once mention, thank you for giving us this son, even though I'm sure he was. He praised God for the blessings he was going to give to the nation of Israel through salvation. He wasn't even thinking about this because his praise and blessing was who of who God was. Do we, do, do we praise and bless God even when things are bad in our life? We should. When we're in, the, in moments of impossibility like Zachariah and Elizabeth were, praise God, adore him. So now the, the, the focus shifts to his son. Look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go down, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sin because of the tender mercy of, the, of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give a light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah is holding his son. Get the picture with me. He's holding his son. Dads, do you ever remember holding your children and just talking to them? You look so cute, right? Right? But talking to me, I can't wait till you get older. We can go do this. and I can't wait till we do this, right? I did, that, I did that with all my children. Zachariah here is holding this son that 10 months prior was an impossibility. And he's talking, listen, and he's actually, when you read the text, he's giving him his job description. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what the angel Gabriel said you were going to do. And he prayed scripture over his son. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. So now, enough about Zachariah and Elizabeth. We want to know about John the Baptist. Okay, good, I know. The time has now come to introduce this faceless prophet, as we call him. So look at verse 80. Here's what Scripture tells us what has happened from the time he was born. We leave him in Zachariah's arms, being prayed over. Verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. There we have it. This is what John was doing from the time his dad prayed for him till the time he came into ministry. Guess what? He lived in the wilderness. My kind of dude. For those that know me, I love hiking. I, many of us hike together. The only thing I could not get used to is the camel's hair and then the diet of locusts and honey. I think I'd have to change that if I was living in the woods. So, let's turn over to John chapter 1 this morning. We've been in Luke. We talked about his, his parents. The whole blessing of the impossibility that God was going to bring forth his son. Now let's go to John 1. As we do, we go to any book. We kind of give a little synopsis of what the book is about. Now for you guys that are the scholars, we've been through this last week. We showed some slides. John's camera angle at the life of Jesus and the life of John the Baptist, but particularly the life of Jesus. What, did John, what was John trying to get across about Jesus' life? He was the son of God. His deity God's deity. Who is Jesus? He is God. And so let's just talk a little bit about John. You guys probably know a lot of these things, but maybe some visitors here don't, and so we're going to give you some information um, this morning. John was one of the 12 disciples that was called by Jesus. He had a brother named James. They were fishermen. Their dad's name was Zebedee. If you remember the picture in Mark chapter 1, Jesus went to Peter and Andrew. Hey, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. He walked down the coast of the Sea of Galilee, and he seen, ran into Zebedee's fishing business. He ran into his two sons, James and John. Hey, listen, come follow me. 
They left what they were doing as successful fishermen, and they followed Jesus. Understand that John was one of the three that was in the inner circle of Jesus. You can name them, Peter, James, and John. Okay, there were two events that give us this picture, there are probably several more, but two we'll talk about this morning, was, you remember the transfiguration? What did Jesus, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, come with me. We're going up the mountain. They got first close look. And then in the house of Jairus' daughter, Peter, James, and John, no one else come, you three come with me. He had, they had one-on-one discipleship with Jesus. What a place to be. John was the only disciple that was not martyred. Judas, of course, killed himself after betraying Jesus. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, uh, probably died of old age or of some kind of health condition. But John's whole focus, being with Jesus, and what he wanted to portray about who Jesus was, was that Jesus was God. Two key verses in the book of John are John 1.1, John 1.14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is God. So now, Picture a courtroom with me. John is stating his case of who this Jesus is through the book of John. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And then we go here to verse 19. He says, now it's time for John the Baptist. Okay, who do you say Jesus is? So if you look at verse 19, now this is the testimony of John the Baptist. I know there's two Johns. John the Apostle was the one who wrote the book of John. John the Baptist is the preparer, the pointer to Jesus So now it's John the Baptist's turn to tell who this Jesus is. Will their stories connect? Will they be on point with one another? I'll let you decide. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He says, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us about what, uh, what do you say about yourself? Now understand, there was a group of religious leaders that were sent to find out who this crazy guy coming out of the woods was. All right? He says, I am the voice. Underline this. This is key. This was what John was pointing to Jesus right here and what his eyewitness account was of who he, what his job was to do here as the forerunner of Christ. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So get, just picture with me maybe some of the concerns of these religious leaders. Again, we leave John in Zach- Zachariah's hand, and next thing we know, he's coming out of the woods. Long hair, camel hair, you know, walking with his pouches and his cane and his staff, walking out of the woods, pre- preaching repentance and being baptized. Religious leaders are like, okay, wait, wait, who is this guy here? Go find out what, what this guy John's all about. John had no political background. He had no military background. He lived in obscurity. And he steps out, repent! And he was a confident man. He spoke the word truth. I always tease uh, people I go to, to Canada with or Algonquin when I go hiking. Listen, if something ever happens to me, just put me up and in my favorite island, Max knows where that is, Lake Levi up in Algonquin Park, and just leave me there. And then the story will be after we'll take church trips and we'll say, there was this crazy guy running around the mountain up there. We don't know where he came from. He had long, that, that's me. It'll be me running around Algonquin Park. I told those guys will leave me up there. And I think Judy told him to do that. No, she did not do that. So the question we ask ourselves, what was John the Baptist doing from the time of, after his birth to his earth? I mean, 30-some years of ministry, our, 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 our vacancy, vacancy here of finding out where was he at? 
Well, we, we've asked that about Jesus. The scripture tells us when Jesus was born, when he was circumcised, when he went into the temple with the, with the religious leaders, and then from age 12 to 30, we don't read about Jesus in the Gospels. Well, we know that Jesus w- learned his father's business of carpentry. He helped his mother. Well, John the Baptist, he was in the woods. He was in the woods, and God was working in his life. Some scholars believe that he may have ran into a group of people called the Essenes. Now, let me just go through here. There's four religious groups of people that were during, lived during this time of the first century, during Jesus and John the Baptist's life. First, the Pharisees. We always say, you're a Pharisee. What was a Pharisee? A Pharisee was a group of religious leaders who followed the law. They were good guys at the beginning. They followed the law of God. They didn't want the nation of Israel to get in trouble like they had in the past by turning away from God. But through the years, the Pharisees made up some rules and regulations that fit their narrative to be more spiritual than the world. And so they kind of added, added to the law. They were legalists, we call them. Then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees believed in the law. However, they didn't believe in the resurrection or eternity. They didn't believe when you died there was an eternal destination for you. All right, so you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees. Now you have the scribes. The scribes were individuals who would copy manuscripts. They would teach, in, they would teach with the rabbis in the synagogues, in the temple. They would interpret the Torah. Then you had this fourth group called the Essenes. Now the Essenes were a group of people who were true to God. We were true to God. And they segregated themselves out from everybody. You'll see a a picture here of their commune. This is in Qumran, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is where the Essenes lived. They got themselves in the desert, in the wilderness, by themselves, because they thought themselves religious. They could get away from God that showed themselves spiritual. How many of you have been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania? Not Lancaster, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That is how you say that. I'm from there. So don't offend me. No, I'm just kidding. You know the Amish? It's not Amish, it's Amish, right? They are a group of people, kind of a modern-day example. They segregate themselves. They live a a good life away from all all the commodities that we have. The Essenes did the same thing. They lived separate to prove themselves how spiritual they were. Well, what does John say to these religious leaders of who he is? Again, I want you to think of the word faceless. I want you to think he is not pointing to himself. He is pointing to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered him, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. John is showing here his role of preparing the way for this one to come. But I want you to look at verse 27. Even he who comes after me, John the Baptist is saying, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I want you to underline that. There's some cultural and historical um, understanding we need to get with this phrase to see what John was saying about himself. You see, in that time in the first century, 2,000 years ago, when you would walk into someone's house, they would have a maid or a servant that would, what, take your shoes off, untie your sandals, so what could happen? They could wash your feet. Why? Because in that culture, people walking around in sandals, your feet were dirty, and you needed your feet washed if you're going to walk in the house. Remember our parents, take your shoes off before you walk in the carpet. Well, in this culture, they took their sandals, and then they washed their feet. What is John the Baptist saying here? 
the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He is putting himself, John the Baptist, under a slave or servant. He is saying, I'm not even worthy to take his shoes off. This is where John's mindset is. John is on, on point on his mission. He is preparing a way for this Jesus. He wants people to look at Jesus. So this morning, this leads us to our second principle this morning. And it's an attitude I think many times permeates us as Christians in our lives. And this is, this is, this is, the, this is the principle this morning. Assess your attitude. Assess your attitude. See, we can lose sight of who we are in Christ in our jobs, in our schools, in our families, in our churches, pride can set in. And we can think that we are better than others. We can. And we need to see John's attitude here. John couldn't even, was even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. He knew his place. He knew his place. Can you imagine being told you were the greatest of all time? How would you think? And then there's this debate in athletics. Who's the goat, right? Greatest of all time, that's how you, that's the good. Who cares, you know? But that's the debate. Look at Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus tells us who the goat is. Can you imagine this being said about you? Look at re, look, Matthew eleven eleven. The verse will be here on the screen. Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine Jesus telling you that? How would you feel? Yeah, I'm pretty cool. I am good. Jesus says I'm the greatest of all time. Pretty good. What did, you, what did John the Baptist do? Continue to point people to Jesus. You see, John was a very, if, if we, we, we kind of get a picture of who John was when he was put in prison before his death. John stood up for his convictions. John stood up for truth. He was unwavering. He knew his purpose. He knew his vision. He knew what he was to do. And preparing the way for Christ. Even up to his death, you remember how he got his head chopped off? It was at the, at the hands of Herod's wife, who was, he took his, his new wife from his half-brother. Again, Herod's family tree was kind of like, all messed up. But he stole his brother's wife to take, him as, take her as his own. And John the Baptist let him know that. And constantly in the prison, hey, man, th- your relationship's wrong. Can you imagine his wife always, listen, you're living in sin. That's wrong. You shouldn't have done that. So she just finally said, listen, my, the thing I want is I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So up to his death, he stood up for truth. He stood up for what was right. How about in our life? I like verses like Proverbs 16, 18 through 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Pride goeth before destruction. John is showing us that we, when we get those attitudes, we need to assess our attitude. And all of us struggle with that in the area of pride. Like Paul told the church of Galatians, Galatians 6, 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And I know there's, there's moments, there are times in our life where pride sets in. Uh, what's, he, what's, she, what's he or she telling me this for? I know what I'm doing. That's pride. If you look at Isaiah 14, what was the downfall of Lucifer? He wanted to be better and greater than God. And God said, get out of my sight. Pride can ruin lives. Brothers and sisters, listen. Assess our attitude. John here was called the greatest of all who lived the, was born of woman. If there's anyone that could have been proud, John the Baptist could have been proud. Assess your attitude. When pride creeps in, assess your attitude. Know what you're here to do through Christ. We sang that song, 
yet not I, but Christ in me. Why are you here? Assess your attitude. Look at John 1.29. We see John's declaration. John's declaration. We see here, he's continuing. He's not stopping. He's continuing telling people who Jesus is. Look at verse 29. So that was what we just talked about. That was the first day. It says here now in the text, the next day. So he was again proclaiming God on this day of, of, listen, I can't even tie his sandals. I can't even do this. This is who he is. He's coming. I'm preparing a way for him. So here he is baptizing people, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He sees him. There he is. There's the guy that's taken away the sins of the world. There he is, the lamb. He pointed him. There he is. Listen, people, focus on that guy right there. That's the man. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. There are some theological nuggets in this phrase here. Why? Because just like the apostle John said Jesus was God, that's exactly what John the Baptist is saying here. After me comes a man who ranks before me. What's he saying in that, in that phrase there? Jesus is better than me. He ranks higher than me. Look at the phrase, he was before me. Now, if we know the life of Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, who had a child first? Zachariah and Elizabeth. Actually, John the Baptist is older than Jesus age-wise, but what did he mean here? He was before me. Guess what? John the Baptist and John the Apostle, their stories are the same. And this phrase here is saying, Jesus is God, and he existed before with his Father. John's, the Apostle's story, John the Baptist's story are the same. In the courtroom, yep, Jesus is God. And John the Baptist pointed that to the people again. So we read here and we conclude about who Jesus was with John. Look at verse 31. I myself did not know, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, and here's what he says, John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Again, referring to Jesus. Verse 34, here he is proclaiming again. Today, I want you just to see how many times John the Baptist pointed to Jesus Christ. Verse 34, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. He bore witness of who he was preparing the way for. Now, I just want to I'll pause here for a moment, and we have just a few moments left. And I, we, we come to this text of Jesus' baptism. There's, there's two theological or doctrinal principles I just want to share for when people ask questions about baptism, when people ask questions about the Trinity. So we're going to talk quickly just about these two areas that we read in this text. Now, Faith Bible Church, you know, we believe in, in, in baptism by immersion, okay? There's other beliefs of being baptized, but let me just walk you through what the importance for us, you know, why baptism? What's the big deal? Well, let me just share with you what I believe Scripture teaches us about baptism, because we get to this point, and really this, this text here is the example, it is the model of why we do what we do as a church, Christian baptism illustrates for us a, this, this, this dramatic event of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You see, as, 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 as someone dies to their sin, 
They are raised to life new in Christ. That's what baptism represents. It's just not some ritual that we do. No, it's, it's something that means something very important to us. Now, baptism, I mean, baptism does not mean you're not, a, if you don't get baptized, you're not a believer. No, not at all. It doesn't mean you can't be saved. No, no, no. It's just, it's an identification. You're identifying with Jesus Christ. See, very simply put, baptism is our testimony of something that inwardly happened to your life, in your life, spiritually. We see in the books, the book of Acts, when people were saved, they were immediately baptized. We, the story of Acts chapter 8, where the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, were, were, he gets saved, and right there's a body of water. Okay, get him baptized, let's go. We also believe baptism by immersion. In Acts 2, 8, and 16, when people were baptized, it was always like in a body of water. We believe baptizo, that Greek word there means to immerse, baptism. And so I think here in, in, in the West, we have lost, baptism has become just uh, this ritual event that everyone comes to. And it's great to celebrate. But understand, in the East, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in, in Bangladesh, in those areas of persecution, when you're baptized, when you identify with Christ via baptism, see, you can say you're a believer in those countries. Okay, great, let's, okay, fine. But when you get baptized, you're saying, I identify with Jesus Christ. Those people lose their families. They lose their jobs. They may lose their life because of that area of baptism. It isn't that important. See, in our culture today, it's like, ah, oh, baptism, okay, yeah, yeah, great, come celebrate. But for them, they're putting their life on the line. And so baptism for us here at Faith, it's just, it's just an identification. Listen, I'm on Team Jesus. I'm going to follow his example of he set forth his ministry of being uh, baptized, showing forth the example for those who repent and are saved Follow that example of Jesus Christ to where we are dead in our sins and now we are walking in a new life in Christ. And that's what baptism means for us. It's that identification for us. And that was the, now that's the easy doctrinal theological um, uh, topic of this morning in that text. Now go to the Trinity with me. Now Trinity is something that is a little bit more complicated. Trinity is one God, three persons. Okay. Now, in this text here, Jesus being baptized, we have to look at Ma Matthew's camera angle because he gives a little bit more into detail. We know the story. Jesus was baptized. When he came out of the water, what happened? A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then what happened? A spirit, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended upon Jesus. The Jewish people here at that moment when Jesus was baptized, unlike anyone else that was baptized that day, they experienced the triune God. They experienced the triune God. God the Father was speaking. There's the second person in the Trinity. And the Spirit descended on Jesus as a dove. The Trinity is a, a doctrine in which, I'm going to be honest with you, I would die for, I believe it that much. Jesus is God in three persons. There are a couple different views that are out there, and I'm not going to bore you with all the details, maybe a little bit, but it's good that we know. Tritheism. Tritheism is this view that Mormons believe, that there are three separate gods. Pfft, wrong. Scripture doesn't tell us that. This is be blunt. I'm just being honest with you. Then there is Arianism. Arianism is this view that Jesus is not God. What have we just read in John 1? Jesus is God. And that Jesus was created by God. No. Pfft, wrong again. That's not what Scripture tells us. Then there's another view that's very common in one Pentecostalism. In fact, a prosperity teacher that probably maybe we might have some of their books or we might watch, we enjoy his preaching, but T.D. Jakes is a modalist. Modalism is the belief there's only one God and there's no persons in the Trinity. <laughs> Wrong again. 
We serve one God in three persons. Okay, Modalists believe there's one God, and he can act as Jesus, act as a Holy Spirit. Okay, that's all well and good, but that's not what we read here in the page of Scripture. Okay, just for example, let's just go through a couple passages. Can, can we go to the Word of God and just kind of give you some, some, some examples? Genesis 1.26, at creation, let us make man in our image. Who's us? It's the triune God. It's the relationship. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 8. Let us go down the Tower of Babel. Let us go down and confuse their language. Okay, who is us? It's the triune God. There's a relationship there. Who was Jesus praying to in Luke 22 at the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is he talking to? Himself? No. He's talking to the first person of the Trinity. There's that relationship. Even in his high priestly prayer, he's praying that prayer. He's praying to his Father. In John 14, we have the Father and the Son sending the Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter here on earth for us today. There's a triune God. Scripture is very clear. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's a very unique relationship. Oh, there's one more I wanted to share. Just just remind, remind me. Hebrews 1 and Acts 7. Jesus, in both those cases, is standing or sitting at the right hand of the Father. Who's the Father? It's God. Jesus is God. Holy Spirit is God in three persons. Listen, this, this relationship has caused a lot of division. And even as, as the early church, there were a, lot, a lot of people were killed for this belief and their stance. It's complicated. In my finite mind, I can't explain it because there is nothing relationship-wise in our culture and since, since the beginning of time that we can relate to that. People have tried to use the egg and ice. It still just doesn't compute. Here's what we need to understand. The secret things belong to the Lord. I love what Paul told the, told the, the, the Christians in Rome, Romans 8, 11, 33, 34. He says this, Oh, the depths of the riches and, the, and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has ever been his counselor? We believe it by faith because Scripture tells us. But most importantly, we not get hung up on the details. Of, I don't under, we're not going to understand it. We worship this great God. We trust this great God. And we know he has it all worked. Someday that relationship will re- be revealed to us when we end up in heaven. But for now, we trust that relationship of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad we worship a triune God? We have his comforter here with us on earth, the Holy Spirit who guides and directs us. And so I just want us to share just those two areas of doctrine and theology. We get to a text like this, because that's an important text. There's a lot of things happening there of Jesus' deity. And so hopefully that's, you're okay with I gave you this extra for this morning. I hope you don't mind that. Back to our story. So as we close this morning, we see G- John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. The last thing we want to, the last um, principle this morning I want us to understand. John was called himself the voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus. Well, again, I think you can understand why we have this series called Faceless because John wanted nothing, no attention for himself. Our, our final principle this morning is this. John had an assignment. His dad told him that assignment when he was a baby. We, we read it in Luke 1. Our third principle this morning is this. We need to advance the assignment. We need to advance this assignment of proclaiming who Jesus is. We get the text like Matthew 28, Acts 1. Yes, that is our assignment, church. 
I, 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 know, I know what you say. Oh, here they go again about sharing Jesus and witnessing and all. I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. You want to get mad at some? Get mad at God. I didn't write it. Jesus left this earth with an assignment. Go into the world, baptizing them, teaching them. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the othermost parts of the earth. That's our assignment. He left it with the disciples, and 2,000 years later, guess what? Guess what our job is as Christians? Pointing people to Jesus Christ. We say, you, you, always, you always say the same thing. Well, some things need to be repeated. I'm a basketball coach. I've coached for many years. And you know what? We ended our season late yesterday, and I said the same exact thing I said to the girls yesterday during the game that I said the very first game. Why? Because we need to be reminded at times of how to do things. I, myself included. Brothers and sisters, we need to promote this assignment of sharing Christ in our lives. John the Baptist was pointing people to Jesus. We have the same job in our jobs, in our schools, in our homes, in our communities. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. We are on assignment. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. What is Paul saying here? Listen, I make connection with people. I build bridges with people so people can know this gospel and have their lives changed. Who is it for you this week? Who are you thinking about that needs Jesus? Who are you thinking about that you can you know, pick up a hobby to get to know this individual to have a conversation to build a relationship with? Because again, Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. But many times in our lives, we have to build relationships with people so they can get to know that relationship with Jesus, right? And so, church, I, I encourage us, even this week, as we look at the life of John the Baptist, he was following his assignment of pointing people to Jesus. And as I was studying, we have the same assignment. We point people to Jesus every day by the way that we live, by the way that we talk, by the way that we act. We're, we're telling people who, about this Jesus. Tell them about this Jesus. So church, go, share the good news. Be that light, be that salt, be that pointer to Jesus. So as we kind of recap this morning, as we learn from Zechariah, in your prayers this week, Practice adoring God. Practice praising Him. Practice blessing Him in your prayer. Number two, we learned that John the Baptist was so focused on pointing people to Jesus, he was a very humble person. We learned from that particular point of, G of John the Baptist's life, assess your attitude. When you feel pride, pride creeping in, assess your attitude. Keep it in check. And thirdly is advance the assignment. Our assignment is going sharing, sharing Jesus with people. Let's continue to do that. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. It could be today. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? It could be today. But until that day comes, continue to share and do our assignment of what God commanded us to do. Go into the world and share Jesus Christ. Can we do that this week? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all you've done for us. We pray, Father, you would just... Help us, Father, as we learn uh, just in the text this morning of John the Baptist of what a, what a great man he was. And again, his focus was pointing people to you. May we do that this week. That head bows and eyes closed. Think about someone in your life this week that, that you can um, talk to. Someone's been on, you've been, you know, been burdened by, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to that person. They, they, maybe they were, they've been struggling, and they know, they know you're a Christian. They know you're a believer. 
and maybe you can give some answers to them and let them know you're praying for them to, to start that conversation about God things, about things of Jesus. Church, we have an assignment. Let's work on our part in fulfilling it at Great Commission. We all have a testimony. We all have a story. Share what God has done in your life. If you're here today and you don't know that Jesus, man, we would love to show you how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you can share that story with people, how he's changed your life. He is a great God. and He's come to save you. He died for your sins. And all you need to do is accept that gift of salvation. And he will change your life. Father, give us a great week. Give us, give us time to, may we praise you this week. Father, may we point people to you this week in your precious name. So stand up. Let's sing that third verse of living hope. Then came the morning.